Oh, hi there. Welcome to No Filter. I'm your host, Anna Kasparian. And we're going to have a little bit of drums on the show today. We're going to have a little bit of a debate about Bernie Sanders. Maybe. I don't think it's going to be dramatic, but we are probably going to have a little bit of a debate later on in the show with Mediate writer Tommy Christopher. And I'm really looking forward to this discussion because it's important to, you know, expose yourself to different ideas, you know, not the way that Dave Rubin does it, but the way real people do it, you know, try to hear a different perspective, and that's what Tommy Christopher will be doing later in the show. But before we get to that, we are going to do a little bit of a discussion about some of the mistakes the Democratic Party is currently making in this upcoming election, and they are very similar to previous mistakes. You'd think that everyone in the Democratic Party would agree on one thing, and that one thing is preventing a repeat of 2016. That overall election, and especially the tumultuous nature of the primaries, contains so much conflict between the establishment and the party's progressives that it would be insane to repeat the same mistakes. Except it appears that political operatives and the Democratic leadership are vying to bungle the presidential race again. In an article titled, Stop Sanders, Democrats are agonizing over his momentum, reporter Jonathan Martin describes the ways in which the Democratic establishment seeks to stand in the way of Senator Sanders winning the party's nomination. Now to be clear, Biden does have a pretty significant lead over Bernie Sanders right now, but things of course could change. Now, these establishment Democrats, party leadership are getting together and coming up with a game plan to prevent Bernie from winning the nomination, all while munching on fancy hors d'oeuvres. Look, haven't we been here already? They've done that. There are far too many vulnerable people in the mix for the Democratic establishment to be poised to make the same mistakes twice. According to the Times, Democrats are increasingly worried that their effort to defeat President Trump in 2020 could be complicated by Sanders. How, some Democrats are beginning to ask, do they thwart a 70-something candidate from outside the party structure who is immune to intimidation or incentive that wields support from an unwavering base without simply reinforcing his the establishment? establishment is out to get me message. What's interesting about this approach by the establishment is that they're convinced that Bernie would have no shot at beating Donald Trump, a man who ran on a populist message and pretended to care about the same economic frustrations and political corruption that Bernie Sanders actually does care about. The New York Times article also reports that Prospect is spooking establishment aligned Democrats, some of whom are worried that his nomination could lure a third party centrist into the field. And it is also creating tensions about what, if anything, should be done to halt Sanders. But if you look at polling, many of the policies that Bernie pushes for, including Medicare for all, are incredibly popular among voters in general. The Kaiser Family Foundation conducted a survey just last April that found that 56% of all voters across the political spectrum support a single payer healthcare system. Only 38% oppose the legislation. The fact that Bernie tries to find solutions for the economic inequities that plague middle and working class Americans gives him a pretty good shot at beating Trump. Remember, in 2016, many Obama voters switched parties to vote for Trump because they felt the Democrats left them behind economically. Anyway, who attends these war room-esque anti-Bernie meetings the Times reported on? The gatherings have included scores from the moderate or center left wing of the party, including Speaker Nancy Pelosi of California, Senator Chuck Schumer of New York, the minority leader, 
Former Governor Terry McAuliffe of Virginia, Mayor Pete Buttigieg of South Bend, Indiana, himself a presidential candidate, and the president of the Center for American Progress, Neera Tanden, because of course. And of course, longtime Hillary Clinton backer and Democratic political operative David Brock is also very much part of these conversations. He was perhaps the harshest toward Bernie in 2016 and attacked the Vermont senator with lines like, quote, it seems black lives don't matter much to Bernie Sanders. Uh, what? Brock's attempts or attacks, I should say, were so aggressive that in January of 2017, he published an open letter to Bernie in an effort to apologize. Brock wrote, quote, I'm with you in the fight ahead. And at times during the Democratic primary, I was criticized for being too aggressive in my support for Secretary Clinton, and rightly so. Looking back, I recognize that there were a few moments when my drive to put Hillary in the White House led me to take too stiff a jab. I owe up to that, I regret it, and I apologize to you and your supporters for it. Now, considering how Brock is back at it again and is strategizing to find ways to undermine Bernie, it seems his apology was disingenuous to say the least. There were giant consequences for Democrats following the primaries in the last election. Many Bernie voters stayed home, voted for a third party candidate, or even voted for Trump following the WikiLeaks release of John Podesta's emails. Those internal Hillary camp messages contained all the confirmation progressives needed to prove that the party was in fact working against Bernie. It would be stupid for Democrats to make that same mistake again. And just in time, Democrats are banking on Trump fearmongering to make their case. Former center right Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill told the Times, quote, one thing we have now that we didn't have in 2016 is the uniting force of Trump. There will be tremendous pressure on Bernie and his followers to fall in line because of what Trump represents. Yeah, I wouldn't be so sure. Insanity is the act of repeating the same mistake over and over while expecting a different result. The way Democrats are playing this is insane. And if they truly believe in democracy, they should stop trying to install candidates to their liking and listen to their voters instead. And look, to be fair, right now, their candidate of choice, Biden, has a pretty wide lead over Bernie. So let democracy play itself out. Stop trying to install candidates and do the right thing. Otherwise, any other action is undemocratic. We'll be right back. Welcome back to No Filter. Joining me now is Tommy Christopher, journalist with Mediaite. Tommy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Anna. So before we get started on a deeper dive into your thoughts on Bernie Sanders, I kind of wanted to get a broader view of where you stand right now in politics. What do you think about the Democratic Party and this struggle between the establishment and progressives? Uh, I think it's a little overblown. Um, I think that this is, it's hard to separate this from my thoughts on Bernie, but I, I think that uh, you know, the 2016 uh, primary sort of shifted the center far enough to the left where, um, you know, it, there are a lot of Democratic candidates that I can get behind. Because, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm center left. I, I think I'm more left than most people who consider themselves centrists. And I find a lot of candidates uh, to agree with in this field. So as someone who considers himself center left, what is it about progressive policy proposals that turns you off a little bit? Well, I mean, nothing really. I, 
it, I guess it depends on the specific policy. I think that uh, Medicare for all, for example, um, you know, that's a pretty deep conversation. But I think that uh, politically speaking, there are problems with Medicare for all. I think that even substantively speaking, there are, are a few problems with it. But it's not because it's too progressive. I, I mean, I don't think there's necessarily a, a, such a thing as too progressive. Uh, it's just, you know, the devil's in the details. And I, I think, you know, like this progressive purism, I think, can be um, dis disadvantageous uh, to, to us, to the Democrats. Yeah, well, okay, so let me just say that I do see a little bit of those purity tests happening and it is problematic because oftentimes you'll have, let's say a candidate who is deeply progressive. I mean, I'm seeing people who are now accusing Bernie Sanders of not being progressive enough, which is absurd. And you're right in that it doesn't lead to any type of advantage for the Democratic Party. but. Would you argue that there was a legitimate concern that the Democratic Party was moving far too close to conservatives and the right wing when it came to the way that they wanted to govern the country and the way they wanted to deal with economic issues? Yeah, I think that was a, I mean, that's a concern I've had since I've been supporting the Democrats. But I, I feel like since, you know, in 2016 and since then, a lot of that. And I, look, I think Bernie Sanders deserves some credit, and I think Hillary Clinton deserves some credit for uh, moving them closer to where I am, much closer. Uh, so, you know, I, I think, you know, look, I, I wanted to start our little talk about Bernie by praising him for, uh, you know, I think he definitely deserves credit for making health care as a right mainstream. That that is now the centrist position that every American uh, deserves health care, should have health care as a right, not a privilege, uh, I think. So that's an unquestionable thing that he did. So I know that I'm risking lengthening this conversation, and unfortunately, we do have time restrictions. But I do want to kind of get your thoughts on Medicare for all and why you think that there are some flaws there. What's your number one concern with that policy? It's hard. I guess if I have to, I, so I hate to boil it all down to politics, but I think a big problem with it is that, you know, you know the polling. People are in favor of it until they find out that. Uh, it eliminates all private health insurance, and then all of a sudden the support drops below 50%. And you know that's that that's when the Kaiser Family Foundation is pulling it. Imagine what that looks like once Republicans start attacking it with those you know those uh, those Har what was it the Harry and Louise or Thelma uh, and Harry or the, remember those ads they ran against Hillary? Right, right. You know once once they start to go to work on it, it it, it you know I I'm concerned that it's too easy to. Uh, a demagogue politically, but but that's you know that that would be worth it to me if I thought it was substantively the best plan. But I don't think it is. Okay, so let's just quickly talk about the Kaiser Family Foundation poll. Right before this interview, I checked the poll again to make sure I had my numbers right, and according to that poll, the Kaiser Family Foundation found that overall voters, both Democrats and Republicans, do support a single payer healthcare system. They didn't use the words Medicare for all; they used single payer. You know. Healthcare system, which Medicare for all, of course, is 56% were in favor, about 38% were opposed. So even with that type of wording, it seems to be pretty popular. And to be fair, I'm actually surprised at how little the Republican Party has attacked Medicare for all, because I would assume this is exactly the type of policy that they would be aggressive toward. But and this is just my my speculation, but I would speculate that they realize, hey, every time we try to go after healthcare. Whether it's the Affordable Care Act or Medicare for All, it actually ends up hurting us. So maybe that's one of the reasons why they've been hands off. 
well, that's one way to look at it. The way I look at it is I think they're waiting to, you know, bring out the big guns, find out who the nominee is. And I mean, I, I, I mean, it doesn't think it matters who the nominee is. They're going to call it socialism no matter what. But I think they're keeping their powder dry at this point. I think once we get a nominee who says they support Medicare for all, which, it, you know, unless it's Joe Biden, we're probably going to have somebody who's like that. Then it's going to be Harry and Louise and, and you know, uh, long, you know, they're you're going to wait in lines and you're going to die uh, waiting for an MRI or whatever, you know. Uh, and I don't think that's a reason necessarily to run from it. But I also don't, you know, I think that, you know, there's uh, something to be said for the fact that, you know, uh, the massive disruption that that would entail uh, is one factor. Um, but also, you know, I, I think liberals make a mistake when we assume that we know what everybody thinks about health care. Like, the, you know, the, the Kaiser poll that you read, you're right, it's 56% when you ask them about single payer. But then when you say, okay, but do you support it if that means no more private health insurance, it drops to like 45% or something like that. I, I don't know if you have it in front of you, but yeah, that's, that's the concern I'm talking about. If you scratch at it a little bit, um, it starts to fall away pretty quickly, the support. I think part of the problem is that there's just a fundamental misunderstanding, uh, you know, and confusion about what private insurance is and who your doctor is, right? So oftentimes when people are asked, you know, do you, are you okay with losing your private insurance if you have a single payer system? Some people might be turned off to that because they think they're gonna lose access to the doctor they like. So these polls are incredibly tricky and I think, I don't know the right way to ask the questions to ensure that people are answering the way that they genuinely feel, but there are some issues there. And I will you know, definitely accept the fact that there are some people who do like the system the way it is. It's amazing to me, but they don't wanna lose it. Maybe they love their private health insurance through their their work, but there are far too many Americans, and I think both of us agree on this, uh, who are suffering under the current system. But to me, what I look for in a candidate, universal health care, true universal health care, is an absolute requirement for me, bare mm -hmm. minimum. So, you know, uh, somebody like Amy, Amy Klobuchar, who I like in other ways, um, you know, her approach doesn't do it for me. Um, but I do think that, yeah, I think you know, signing your name to Medicare for all. Uh, Brings a lot of baggage with it. Okay. Uh, you know, I worked in healthcare for a long time, and there are people who have not only you know, they have very good health plans, uh, unions, um, government plans, um, and so you know th they're satisfied with their insurance. And you know, people when we think about the problems with health insurance, we think people who are uninsured or on the individual market. But if you belong to a large employer. Uh, you get treated like gold. If you if you belong to a government plan where some insurance company does not want to lose that contract, you, and you have a problem, you get treated like gold. Your problem gets solved. Mm -hmm. if, you know the horror stories you hear are from people who are from smaller groups or from uh, the individual market, or you know have plans where, you know, the market does not work in their favor. So yeah. So one of my personal issues with the way the system is set up right now is that it's it's very dependent on employers providing health insurance. So a lot of people feel like they're stuck at jobs that they pretty much hate because if they leave, that means that they lose that benefit of health insurance for themselves and their family members. 
I think that it's important to have the freedom to go from one job to the other without having to worry about or stress about the type of healthcare coverage that employer provides. But but I hear you, you believe in a more measured approach. And there are people who disagree and that's fine. But I do at least appreciate that this conversation is being had. Whereas before, there was no conversation being had. And so this is a good sign. I do wanna switch gears before we run out of time. I think that the way that you cover a candidate like Bernie Sanders on Mediate is actually fair. You do a lot of straight news articles, you don't really inject much of your opinion. There was only one op-ed that I came across and it's very clearly listed as an opinion piece on Mediate. And you wrote, let me give you the title, Bernie Sanders attempt to chill think progress is an outrageous attack on free speech. And so you were referencing the fact that think progress had put out a video and also an article about how Sanders was now barely a millionaire because of his book. And so, you know, let me give you a little piece of what you had written. As someone who doesn't think Sanders should be president and finds plenty of legitimate reasons to criticize Sanders as well as to praise him, the fact that Bernie Sanders earned millions in writing books while demonizing millionaires and billionaires and criticizing Hillary Clinton for earning money making speeches does not phase me at all. But you continue to write, the article in question by Think Progress's Jessica Goldstein and the companion video make the point that Sanders' newfound wealth is very off-brand and embarrassing, a much more persuasive observation and a fair one. So how do you feel about that piece today? Do you still agree with what you had written? Sure, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't know why he's running on that passage. I mean, to me, the larger issue is that it was uh, it was messed up that he went to Think Progress's funders to try and control what they were saying about him. Um, you know, I, again, I, I, neither neither one of their uh, observations did I find all that mind blowing. Like, okay. Yeah, you know, he's clearly defensive about the money he's made. So what? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a big deal to me. I'm not going to not vote for Bernie Sanders because of that. So, um, but his reaction—I mean, you know—his reaction to me was just—it was unconscionable. So I, you know, it's like when someone on Twitter doesn't like something I wrote, and then they start copying Dan Abrams, who's my boss, and says, Dan Abrams, is this the kind of thing you want on your site? Right. Like, you right. know what? If you don't like what I said, argue against me. Don't go to my boss. Yeah, yeah, I, I I understand what you're saying, and and look, I've had similar treatment as well. But wouldn't you argue that some of the headlines coming from Think Progress during the 2016 election and then now during this election are pretty clear in attacking Bernie Sanders? I mean, think about it. The Center for American Progress and and Nira Tandon specifically were pushing very aggressively to get Hillary Clinton the nomination, and that led to a huge fight. Within the Democratic Party, and and look, even Neera Tandon responded to that video that was released by Think Progress and said, "Quote: We believe the content of the Think Progress video critiquing Senator Sanders is overly harsh and does not reflect our approach to a constructive debate of the issues." So even she conceded that it went a little too far. And just to go back to the headlines on Think Progress, I'll give you two examples. April 10th of this year. Bernie Sanders is a millionaire, that's the one in question that we're talking about. And then the second one, one Democrat in the race seems serious about governing and it's not Bernie Sanders. So how many times do you get slapped in the face before you finally react? You know, I mean, how would you react as a candidate if you were, you know, dealt with the same situation or dealing with the same situation? 
Well, I mean, what you're saying sort of misses the point. First of all, when this came out, I went and looked at Think Progress, and there was some pro-Bernie stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, you know, the the premise of Think Progress is that they are editorially independent from CAP. Uh, I mean, either you believe that or you don't. If they are, then you know, what's the point of of, of complaining to their funders? Uh, and if you know, look, I looked at the letter that Bernie wrote, and he didn't refute any of the criticism. He just said, you know. Uh, 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 he didn't like it that they were doing it and that it was not constructive and you know what it's going to threaten our relationship or whatever the hell that means um, you know if, if you're a candidate and somebody's critical of you 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 rebut the criticism or or ignore it but you don't say hey you know I'm going to go to your funders and threaten them to get you to change what you're saying about me I thought that was cowardly and uh, and and a show on free speech the spirit for free speech you know if somebody did that to me you know, it's like you, Anna. You, you know, you you didn't like what I wrote necessarily, but you're not saying, "Hey, Dan Abrams, is you sure this is the guy you want to work for?" You, you know, you're saying, "Let's talk about it." That's right, how you do right. it. Right. I, I mean, I think that we should definitely move toward having a conversation or a debate rather than uh, trying to get people fired. But to be fair, I mean, Bernie Sanders is a candidate running for president, and I think that he's learned some lessons from the last time. Uh, so he's a lot more aggressive in defending himself. And I hear you, you don't like the way that he handled this situation. But I think that it's important for him to fight back. Otherwise, the other side runs with the narrative. And we've seen that happen over and over again. That's not how you do it. That's just not how you do it. Okay, so we disagree there. But I wanted to ask you one final question. So. In that very op-ed, you mentioned the fact that Bernie Sanders at that point had not released his taxes yet. Now, of course, since you've written that piece, he has released his taxes. Was there anything in there that was notable to you? No, no, and I, you know, I suspected all along that there wouldn't be. Um, you know, I've never been one of these. You know, but this is the thing: a lot of the people that I'm friends with on Twitter and in real life, they just like. Friggin' hate Bernie. I don't hate Bernie. I like. I, there's a lot of things I like about Bernie. Um, there are things I don't like about him. I don't think he should be president. Um, I don't think he'd be a good president. But you know, like I said, he deserves credit for moving the debate to the left. Uh, he deserves credit for you know all the things he did 30 years ago. Uh, endorsing Jesse Jackson was great. Um, but uh, you know, so I'm I, you know I'm not one of these people who's like, oh my God, there's something in his taxes that shows he's working with the Russians or anything like that. I think that the fact that he took so long to release his taxes says something, uh, either that he's embarrassed about the money, which, you know, his reaction to cap sort of bears out, and his reaction to questions about the money bears out, and uh, so, so like a sort of a lack of competency, really. You know that it's been four years and it took him that long to print out his turbo tax mm-hmm. uh, doesn't impress me. All right, but it's not. But look, it's not disqualifying. Oh my God, the guy. Can't figure out TurboTax, so he can't be president. No. I mean, I can't figure out TurboTax, <laughs> so, which is why I pay someone to do my taxes. I don't want to mess up. But anyway, thank you so much for joining us, Tommy. Uh, we have some significant differences in, of opinion, but I do appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing your perspective with me on the show. Thanks for having me. We go back a long way. Definitely. Have a good one. You too. All right, guys, we will be right back. I want to thank all of you for watching and supporting No Filter. If you'd like to support us further, you can leave us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast. That really does help to promote the show and get it featured on these various platforms. Special thanks to the crew and the producers that made this show possible. And special thanks to our guest who's willing to come on and share his opinions, even though they differ quite a bit from my own. It is important to have these open discussions, and I hope that you guys enjoyed it. We'll see you soon. Have a good one. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.